Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, the podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector. Hosted by Jeff Beecham, the manufacturer's recruiter. Hello and welcome to Insights for Manufacturing. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, Andrew Large, who is the Director General at the Confederation of Paper Industries. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you very much, Jeff. Glad to be here. You're very welcome. It's uh, it, now this is a, quite an interesting topic, you know, paper and cardboard, part of you know UK manufacturing. I spent a bit of my career very early on for a uh, working for a print and ink manufacturer, so I understand a little bit about substrates, paper, corrugated packaging, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I was really keen for us to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so firstly, Andrew, how important is paper and cardboard these days? Well, it, it's hugely important. Um, I mean, let's just go back to the to the pandemic. Think about the things that were important to us during the pandemic. Think about the news items on toilet roll and empty shelves and supermarkets. Yeah. Think about how important food deliveries were and online deliveries. Think about the fact that the government wrote to everybody on paper about the measures that they were taking in response to the pandemic. Think about um, all of the use of food packaging materials for supermarkets. Um, Paper's hugely important. And sometimes we're a bit blind to it because it's around us everywhere. But actually, not only is it completely ubiquitous and without it, normal life as we know it would fall apart, um, but it's also still a huge industry. There are 47 paper mills in the UK, turns over around £12 billion uh, pounds a year, um, employs 60-odd thousand people directly, another 100,000 indirectly supported. That employment is spread widely across the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, so it's a hugely important, hugely essential industry. Um, and I think what's interesting is it's an industry that's in a period of change. It's, it's yep. fair to say that since the year 2000, there's been some decline. Um, that's largely been driven by uh, getting out of graphic papers. Uh, you, know, you, you imagine how much we, we use online now as opposed to yeah. magazines, copier paper, newsprint, whatever. Um, but then as an industry, we've moved very much into packaging papers, very much into tissue. Um, and although we've, we've gone through a little bit of a low point, actually, if you look at the investments that have been publicly announced, um, there's a new uh, paper centre being built in uh, North Wales, which is going to make packaging papers and um, tissue. There's yep. another new tissue mill going to be built in Goole in Yorkshire. You know, there's a real uptick. And actually, the, the, the growth and the future uh, for the coming years for paper is hugely, hugely interesting. Yeah. Well, as you say, we can't do without it. So, um, OK, well, in terms of the uh, CPI, do you just want to give a, a, a brief overview to our, our listeners and, and viewers? Yeah. What, what are the objectives of the organisation and, mm-hmm. and what sort of businesses make up your membership? Yeah, sure. So, so CPI has got a long history. The original ancestor organisation, so the Paper and Board Association of Great Britain and, Northern I- of Great Britain and Ireland, was established in 1872. So we're effectively 151 years old. Um, the Confederation has been in its current form uh, for about 20 years. And what it does is it brings together the paper makers. So we have 100% of volume paper making in membership. Converters of packaging, we have about 85% by volume 
of packaging conversion uh, and then a similar percentage of tissue manufacturing but then also it brings together the businesses that are involved in the recycling of paper yeah. uh, so we yeah, we're very much sort of trees to recycling bins and and, and, and all points in between um, so the sort of businesses oh yeah I mean there are household names like DS Smith and Smurfy Kappa that are FTSE 100 companies um, you know we have yeah you know, the Kimberly Clarks the Essities the Sofidel so the people whose 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 products you would see in the uh, supermarkets yeah. Um, yeah and then we have you know a wide range of businesses of varying different sizes the common thread through all of them is they're involved directly in the manufacturing or conversion of paper and paper products uh, and that's really where our core and majority membership is so what do we do for them well we provide a lot of information and support uh, you know translating government regulation legislation into practical yeah. guidance acting as a liaison to make sure that we have um, uh, you know, members doing the right things at the right times in order to be compliant with the law. Uh, we provide some direct services, particularly on managing uh, climate change agreements and UK ETS uh, participation. Yeah, we engage with government to look to uh, to improve the regulatory environment where we can. Um, we have a great focus on health and safety, on making sure that the industry is as safe as it can be. Um, you know, through what we call the PABIAC, the Paper and Board Industry Advisory Committee strategy process, we've made huge strides over the last 20 years in making the industry safer. In fact, I think it's fair to say it's as safe today as it ever has been. Um, and yeah, we're also really there as the sort of the, 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 the focal point hub the network we have a convening power to bring the industry together to solve problems obviously yeah. within the scope of competition law that's that's hugely uh, important to make sure we comply with that but we're very much about bringing bringing the industry together to look at the key issues for that industrial competitiveness and then making sure that the businesses within the industry are are able to be as competitive as they can be Brilliant. And uh, it's, it's nice that there's such a, you know, a sort of long-standing heritage, you know, for the Confederation yeah. in, its, in its previous yeah. guises. So yeah. you spoke about, you know, environmental, you know, uh, everywhere you look these days, the, the yeah. words net zero, carbon neutral, yeah. sustainability um, are, are there in front of us. Yeah. So in terms of the paper industry, how, how, how are your members or how is the industry in general adapting uh or continuing to adapt to sort of eco-friendly practices yeah. has technology moved on much over the last sort of 5 10 20 years in terms of the processes um given, um, given sustainability yeah. i mean there's a, there's a lot of different aspects to this so as the first is the actual paper making process itself yeah then i want to look a little bit about packaging then i want to look a little bit about sort of wider sort of uh, material substitution issues so yeah, the paper making process itself is actually quite stable. The suspension of cellulose fibers in water and then casting them out to form a sheet is yeah. a process that people from 100 years ago would recognize. That said, there's been a tremendous amount of incremental innovation in product lightweighting, in energy efficiency, um, fuel switching. So, you know, getting away from coal towards um, you know, gas CHP as being the, um, uh, the, the, the way in which a paper mill is powered and then yeah. going beyond that. So looking at electrification, uh, we had a major announcement today, for example, one of our paper mills is now looking at hydrogen as a um, as, as a fuel source for some of its uh, for some of its activities so there's been a tremendous amount of work being done um, 
in and amongst the, the existing process to look at how we can make it as efficient and as energy efficient as we can and yeah. making sure that we're getting away from high carbon sources of energy to low carbon sources of energy. One, one of the great qualities of the paper making process is that we don't use carbon as a reagent anywhere in the process. We're only interested in steam at a certain temperature and pressure yeah. and effectively motive power to move the motors. And if we've got both of those, we and they're reliable and they're cost effective, we are utterly agnostic as to where it comes from. So nuclear power station, coal-fired power station, wind farm, batteries, whatever, we are completely and totally happy for those products to come from whatever source they come from. Yeah. So, you know, I'm 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 very, very pleased about that. I think that's very, very important. Um, what I would say is moving on then to the packaging side of things obviously it's hugely important that the um goods that our members are that the, the, the economy is producing are properly packaged so we do a lot of work to make sure that the packaging is actually performing in use because there's absolutely no benefit to having a packaging material which then doesn't protect the goods that you're shipping uh and and, and you end up with what i call the triple journey problem so if you break something in transit, you have the original order, which is going to be rejected because you've broken it. You then have the return. So you have a second order, you've got to give it back. And then you have the third order to actually re-satisfy the original order that was required. Yeah. So for one faulty piece of packaging, you end up with three journeys, which is no good at all for any kind of environmental sustainability, carbon emissions or whatever you like. Yep. So we need to make sure that the materials that we use are actually functioning in use and an awful lot of work goes in in the packaging side to innovate packaging design to minimize material use to maximize recyclability and to maximize the protection from the product so that you um you 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 you, you minimize the triple journey problem also on the packaging side we've done a lot of work on our packaging recyclability guidelines and also on a new initiative called Paper Cycle, which we can come on to a bit later. Uh, and they are both very practical attempts to guide the design of packaging and then also to fully assess its recyclability so that we can use those fibers as often as we possibly can yeah. going forward. Yeah. The one other area I want to talk about, about carbonization in particular, decarbonization, is material substitution. Because obviously in the packaging field, paper and paper-based products are competing with plastics. Yep. Now, I'm not going to be um, dogmatic about this and say that paper is always better than plastic. Um, and I don't think the plastic people should say that plastic is always better than paper. But as we're looking to not just performance in use, but also overall sustainability and end of life for the material, yeah. with the well understood pre-existing recycling loops for fiber-based products we think that fiber is competitive as a substitute in many areas for fossil oil-based plastic products okay and so we see very much that one of the contributions we can make to industrial decarbonization is about reducing the demand for oil for plastics yeah it's not everybody it's not everywhere Plastic is a fantastic material. I'm not going to, to criticize it in, 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 in any way, shape or form, but it's a material of a certain time. And now we're looking more about 
environmental sustainability. We're not looking about cradle to grave. We're looking about a constant circularity of materials. Right. Yep. The, the renewability and reusability and recyclability of fiber-based products starting to come to the fore. And, you know, we are, you know, for things like, for example, fruit and veg trays, for things like the sliding inserts that you have in packaging, which are often plastic that have got things pressed into them. You know, we see fiber-based products as being very competitive with those. And, you know, we are, we're, we're very, very keen that we can play our role in decarbonization by offering a, a more sustainable alternative. Super. And there's, I, I guess it's, whether it's paper, whether it's plastic, you know, quite divisive topics really aren't they depending on which camp uh joe public is or you know people in government or wherever it might be um you can't please everybody there's no point even trying personally i see the use for for both uh you know plastic we need it but i'm also a big fan of paper stuff as well you know we, we can't I, I don't think we can survive without paper i mean i was thinking about this earlier before we came online yeah and i was sat there thinking okay so a lot of businesses and um, with my business here, you know, years ago as a recruiter, you'd have loads of CVs, you'd print them off, you'd sort of scribble notes on them and all that sort of thing. Now pretty much it's paperless apart from my little notepad. Um, you know, I make notes and it goes straight into the, 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 the computer system. Um, but if we, if we did end up in a situation where there was no paper I mean, it's never going to happen, but just imagine there was no paper for communicating and everything's gone totally digital and then some foreign country decides to let off a burst mm. of uh, EMP over our atmosphere and everything just stops. Mm. What would we do then? So that's just my, mm. you know, from an outsider looking in, there's one of the, the risks of, of going mm. too far down to let's get rid of paper. I don't think we should anyway. I still love a, a, a book uh, and, a, and a trade I mean, magazine. Jeff, what, what you've just said, I mean, not in you know, quite such an, uh, an aggressive way, but um, the British Library is still, I believe, the, the victim of a cyber attack. It's been reported in the news. Um, yeah. Their whole digital catalogue has been taken down. So their ability, therefore, to find volumes on the shelves has gone down because yeah. they've lost, they don't have any more, the manual records of where their books are. And so... Uh, PhD students and, and academics are having to travel to other places uh, other than the British Library. And, and, and you know, as, as people say flippantly, you can't hack paper. Um, now, you know, you and I are speaking through the digital world. Uh, you know, you are, you know, we, 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 it gives us so much. And, and I'm not for one moment going to advocate a, a return to a pre-digital world, but it brings its risks. Yeah. And I think as part of a corporate risk management strategy, uh, yeah, and you don't even, you don't even need to think about sort of, you know, enemy action. Um, you just need to think about power cuts. Absolutely. You just need to think about, you know, flooding events leading to power outages. Um, you know, you just need to think about accidental corruption of data yeah. um, on systems and having that paper record backup is going to be, incredibly important in that kind of incident resilience and I, I i i do i think businesses really do need to look at that yeah absolutely so packaging then um especially paper and cardboard uh, plays a crucial role in manufacturing 
So what are the the main environmental challenges then associated with paper and cardboard mm. packaging in manufacturing? And what what are you what what what's the confederation and its members doing to you know address these uh, yeah. these issues? I mean, I think the thinking of fiber-based packaging as, as 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 a discrete unit in itself, the, the the issue is really around recycling. It's what do you do with the packaging when it's um, uh, you know when when it's finished with? Yeah. Uh, and you know, as as as, as an organisation, we've we've looked really at two principal initiatives. The first is, can we influence how packaging is designed? So it's not just designed to be performing in use. It's also designed to be very easily recyclable afterwards. Sure. And we've developed over the last four years, a series of uh, packaging uh, guidelines. So they're aimed at designers, they're aimed at being future facing. And we are giving some narrative based on our experience of actually receiving material into paper mills and then looking to recycle it through the, the, the paper mill production process yeah. on yeah, effectively what works and what doesn't. So, and what we're asking for designers is as they're building the next generation of packaging formats, can they do a bit more of what works and a bit less of what doesn't? Um, so, you know, whether these are, you know, use of plastics and laminates, whether this is, um, overuse of wet strength um, additives to the paper recipe, whether this is various kinds of inks, varnishes, coatings, foilings, whatever, um, can they be done with recycling in mind so yeah. they do not become a damage to the recycling process? Yeah. Um, and those guidelines are impressionistic. We set some sort of um, uh, targets. So, you know, we're looking at um, gradually reducing the level of what we would call contaminants in the paper recipe down to below 5%. Um, we're not there yet, but we're looking to, you know, continue to engage with and encourage designers to uh, to, to drive that forwards. Um, and then conversely, because all of policy and people's ESG commitments and you know government's extended producer responsibility and so on is actually looking at putting some binary labels on things. Yes, no. Can you recycle it? Can it not? Right. Um, We've started developing, and, and indeed we've launched in May this year, uh, a new uh, initiative called Paper Cycle. Uh, and basically what Paper Cycle does is if you have a packaging format, you can go down an online test. And if the, the result of that is it comes out as being recyclable, uh, we take a certain proportion of those, about 10%, and we test them just to make sure that, you know, the system is running correctly and yeah. people aren't... Um, taking advantage uh, but if it comes out of the bottom and says it isn't recyclable on, on a base of the online test then you can come and physically test it anyway and okay. that physical test then basically it involves simulating the paper making process with the product that you've put together yep. looking at how much coarse rejects there are looking at the quality of the finished sheet you know are there flecks of old ink in it are there um, flecks of glitter and foil uh, are there what we call macro stickies you know there might be some adhesive in there that um, yeah. you're using to stick the box together it sort of liquefies in the um production process and then re-solidifies back into the paper and becomes a quality fault so we're testing for all of those things and if it passes the test then we will we will certify it as being recyclable in in in, in uk paper mills and um you know this is a new initiative um i have to say from a standing start we're growing quite quickly there's a lot of interest particularly from big companies who as part of their packaging product development cycle they want to have a 
test to see whether it's recyclable or not. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a real practical service that a trade association can provide in support of its members to demonstrate that the products that they are, that are being placed on the market are actually recyclable. So we're not just saying, oh, it's recyclable. We can actually point to the paper mill. We can point to the test of the product and we can say, look, here's what's happening and we can prove it. Yeah. And are those testing facilities your own or are they within member companies or have you got a separate uh, sort of testing body or how we, does that we, we have separate contracts with a couple of independent testing bodies. Right. Uh, you know, it's important. We, we couldn't do this in a member company. Um, there, there, there would just be conflicts of interest Conflict, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. So we have a separate contract with an independent third party test house uh, and they are providing us. They, they're doing the tests in accordance with a European paper testing uh, methodology, which has been agreed by the European um, level trade association and a, a European level initiative called for Evergreen. Okay. And then, so the test is a common European test. You know, packaging will get tested in the same way in, 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 in most European countries. And then the interpretative criteria for the results of that test, they are UK specific, taken into account, um, you know, particularly UK legislative, uh, packaging, recycling, recovery processes, and, and so on and so forth. So you can't, you can't have the same interpretative criteria in different countries because the quality of the input materials is different. The way they're collected yeah. is different. So we need to make sure that the, uh, the interpretative criteria matches, not just the test, but also the real world collection system that is going on underneath the test. Yeah. Um, what about sort of regulations and, and, and things like that? I mean, you know, the, the law seems to change every now and again, no matter what industry you're in, um, mm. usually for the right reasons, but not always. Um, in terms of the paper industry, are, are, there, are there any sort of upcoming changes or, or new regulations that, that sort of might impact UK paper making? What, what's the sort of state oh. of play in terms of the regs? There are an enormous number. And frankly, Jeff, it's probably easier to talk about the areas where there aren't things coming forward <laughs> other than where there are. Yeah. Um, but just, just, just to give you a flavour and a case in point. So we've we've literally just seen the, the continuation of the climate change agreement system for another 10 years. Okay. So the climate change agreements will continue to be in effect until 2020, 2033. And that's so that's given a, an area of stability. But there's been a long run up in terms of the consultation and the uh, considerations for for that um yep. obviously we've just had uk emissions trading uh system being set up post brexit um and we are now very much looking at the um development of that what's going to happen to free allowances what's the trajectory for them with being withdrawn how might that fit in with an eventual uk carbon border adjustment mechanism where we you'd effectively apply a carbon tax on imported products to to equalize the carbon charges across uh, across borders um so there's there's a tremendous amount going on there um on the packaging side we're in the middle of the biggest upheaval of packaging recycling law for a generation uh so you might recall the introduction of prns uh well they are now being superseded at least in some areas by extended producer responsibility yep. which is looking to put the whole cost of curbside uh recycling collection on businesses 
uh, and there's a lot of work going on now to just understand what's the methodology, how is that going to apply in, in certain contexts, um, yeah. you know, what are the issues um, that are being brought up from that. Um, then on forestry issues, we have now that the UK is outside the EU, we're becoming a third country importer or potentially third country purchaser from the um, European Union of, of, of pulp or paper or other products. And then we have to deal with the, the new EU deforestation regulations. And how can we demonstrate, for example, that fiber based products being exported from the UK to the EU um, are um, free from the products of deforestation? Uh, and there's a whole piece of work now to be done to see how do we comply with that new piece of legislation? What are the what are the challenges? Um, and this is you know, because of the particular situation of Northern Ireland and also the particular situation of the Republic of Ireland, as it, yeah. as it happens, the Republic of Ireland has no paper mills. So all the primary production of paper has to occur somewhere else. A lot yeah. of it historically occurs in the UK. So the export of paper products to the EU is, 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 a, is a not insignificant issue, uh, you know, not just the island of Ireland, but also uh, you know, other, other EU countries as well. And so you know, our compliance with these things, which historically was effectively a given because they were incorporated into UK law, yeah. increasingly as we, are, as we are longer away from the European Union, then the laws inevitably begin to diverge as new laws are, are, are passed in one jurisdiction or another and are yep. not precisely mirrored. And so the compliance issue just you know, multiplies and there's more and more work to do to understand what's required and then understand how we comply with it. So quite a few, let's call them challenges, headwinds, it's quite a complex landscape, isn't it, really? But I mean, there must be some, you know, some opportunities for the for the paper industry as well. What, what Are you seeing any any sort of trends or any you know opportunities for innovation or um you know what what let's let's flip it onto a you know a positive we all we all need paper what what's the future going to be what, what what's technically in the pipeline in terms of an industry i i mean I, I look at it in two ways i think the the uk paper industry and and the downstream products are, are enormously good at innovating yeah. to meet and lead customer demand so I see the continued delivery of not just manufactured products, but sort of whole, you know, effectively sort of product protection services. Okay. So you're, you're, you're effectively, you're selling packaging, not just as I need you to buy 100,000 cardboard boxes, but we're selling effectively the service of getting your product from A to B in the most sustainable way possible with the least amount of damage to it. Yeah, And I think the, you know, the opportunities for innovation in that area for improving the design of packaging, improving its ability to protect the product, to promote it, to um, pack, it, you know, pack it securely, uh, I, I think that's hugely, hugely optimistic. Um, the other area I think which is very optimistic is you know, the continued sort of growth of, of hygiene. You know, we look yep. at where we are with our health service at the moment. We look at where we are with... Um, uh, you know the the demands for healthcare and the demands. You know the the pandemic has I think taught us a lot about yeah. the importance of how you manage infectious diseases and so on. Um, and I do think that there's a lot of opportunities there for for greater sales of tissue. Um, you know to to literally as the as as, as the government's um, promotional um, you know posters say, catch it, bin it, kill it. 
yeah. you know, where, where, where we are becoming much more uh, acutely aware of the importance of managing, um, you know, infectious disease. And, and, and COVID was a particular case in point. But every year there is colds, there are flu and norovirus and all of these things. So yeah. as we become much more um, aware of the impacts we can have with personal hygiene, then I think the the various you know tissue products that are able to uh, quite literally catch it, bin it, kill it, are yeah. I think going to be, you know play a greater and greater role. And I think there's huge opportunities there too. And I, I think it's worth noting that yeah, certainly from my point of view, uh, we can't afford not to have that manufacturing facility in the UK, can we? We don't want to be you know importing the bulk of our tissue paper do we you know um we, we've got to have that here surely well i think there's always a tightrope here because on the one hand there are quite clearly advantages to free trade and advantages to the exploitation of comparative advantage yes but again you know we I, and we don't want to create a sort of an autarkic case where we have to have absolutely everything done for ourselves i think there's only one country in the world that's doing that which is north korea and, and with due respect to the north yep. koreans that's not an example i think that any of us would want to follow absolutely yeah um that said we also clearly have and again these are lessons learned from the pandemic that the first thing that happened when there were supply chain crises was that governments pulled the export shutters down so material could not leave yeah. And, and, and you might recall, you know, negotiations taking place on air, air, airport tarmacs, uh, you know, as, as, as cargo planes were loaded with PPE. Uh, literally, the highest bidder was coming to buy the load before yeah. they took off and flew somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in Europe, for example, they've got the, the concept of uh, strategic autonomy, which is an attempt to, 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 to have a made in Europe strategy. When I say Europe, I mean the EU. It's the EU 27 yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, the UK Labour Party is starting to talk about securonomics, so economics, but with a security angle to it. Mm -hmm. um, the United States has always been a bit more autarkic than, than, than other nations, yeah. uh, even though it's a, a, also a, a big importer of, of manufactured goods as well. So I think for, for every, every country, there is now a sense that the balance point has shifted and that whereas previously people felt they could rely upon free trade, they'd always be yeah. a willing seller yeah, um, and the price might vary, but they'd always be a willing seller. I think people are having to get to grips with the fact that in the real world, sometimes there might not be a willing seller yeah. or the willing seller might be prevented from selling by their government. And on that basis, people do need to make sure that they've got the ability that, you know, the wheels don't fall off your society yeah. um, the minute that you don't suddenly have a willing seller for goods that you desperately need. Yeah. So it's really important that we, you know, we're, we're not necessarily 100% self-efficient, but we need self-sufficient rather, but we need to, we need to make sure that we can make our own. Um, and that brings me on to another question that uh, we hadn't sort of planned for a guess but that's around skills i mean there's what 60 odd thousand people mm. in the in the paper sector in the uk mm. um yeah. so how big an issue is skills in in the paper manufacturing sector because across the the bulk of the rest of the manufacturing sector most companies are struggling to get mm. all sorts of labor whether it's unskilled skilled engineers yeah um it's a huge issue there's a huge skills gap how's that sort of affecting your members then oh 
I think the first thing to say is that we're no better or no worse than many, many other manufacturing sectors. Okay. You know, we have a, an aging workforce. Uh, we have a uh, challenges in, in, in recruiting people uh, to come and, 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 and work in, in, in lots of different parts across the industry. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing we have to do as an industry, which we've already started, through example, through a, a campaign called Beyond the Box, and some work that we've been doing to take cardboard as a material and its uses into schools is that we've got to start building the impression that you know it's a, it's a good product it, it 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 does what it's supposed to do but it yeah. does so in a way that doesn't damage the environment uh and, and and it's somewhere that you can feel proud of and, and and be proud of being associated of so we we've started to do some work in trying to move the needle in terms of what people actually think of us okay uh, the second thing i think more practically is we've um we're now in the second year of an apprenticeship program where we are we've worked together with uh, cogent skills and with the institute for apprenticeships to put together an apprenticeship program um currently targeted just on paper making okay but with the ambition in forthcoming years to broaden that out to provide an apprenticeship route of entry for paper making for packaging for recycling and and possibly for other other areas as well Okay. So we're, we're actually trying to help our members you know, engage in the recruitment market more, more directly and, and put, yeah. um, you know, put, put more skilled people together. Um, the other thing I would say, though, is that the skills you need are changing. And this is a, a big area of work mm. for us, is actually understanding not just what did you need 15 years ago, what do you need now, but what will you need? Yeah. And it's clear that we're going to need people with skills in digital process control. We're going to need people with skills in flexible energy management. We're going to need people with skills in product design and marketing yep. uh, to be able to, 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 to compete with you know, other materials that will also be doing the same thing. We'll also be trying to push their solution to, uh, to packaging challenges. Yeah. And, and, and so we are, we're not just anymore a, an industry full of, you know, people who have got machine minding jobs who are who, who are with you know large spanners and drills and manually adjusting pieces of equipment and so on. Yeah. You know, what we need are people with the AI skills to be able to run a process control system to use AI to determine that a certain end effect visible in the paper is likely to be as a result of a certain precursor effect, then you know, to, 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 to get the maintenance scheduled and then, you know, to automate all of that. I mean, yeah. even now, you know, machines you know, across the industry are talking di directly through, um, you know, internet links with their manufacturers. Yeah. They're on a 24 seven rolling, you know, hundreds, thousands of data points a second being recorded. And as soon as, you know, the bearing on number three role, maybe approaching the end of its life and the people who are monitoring it 24 7 will know long before you can see anything in the paper long before yeah. you can hear anything or notice anything yeah and you can do therefore proactive maintenance which keeps your uptime up keeps your productivity up and really makes the um you know the industry as as, as productive as it can be and and so that's a, a very long-winded way of saying that yeah the skills needs are really going to change yeah. And we need to make sure and we're starting the process through our apprenticeships of making sure that we can actually recruit the people that we're going to need 
you know, in the next 10 to 20 years who, who are going to come into the industry, bring the new skills in with them and then grow with those skills through the industry as it goes forward. Yeah. I, 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 I suppose a lot of people that, that aren't in the paper industry, you know, might see it as a, a, a traditional or a, you know, a long standing old fashioned sector, but it, it's not really, is it? You know, you, you've just been talking about, um, you know, a plant and machinery that's, that's connected up. You, you know, we've yeah. got industry for yeah. internet of things, IOT, you've just been yeah. talking about AI, uh, some of that is already in in place but it, yeah. it's changing all the time um and i think that's probably a good hook if you like to get more youngsters mm -hmm. interested in you know i mean i don't know anybody that's sort of talked about or considered going into the paper making industry yeah. um you've got to be in the right pockets to come across those sort of people um mm -hmm. but that's just another example of a part of uk manufacturing that needs a constant supply of youngsters coming into industry and things change every couple of years, especially with things like AI technology. Um, somebody who's learning stuff at college at the moment in another five years, they're going to need to upgrade and up, you know, get a, a, a different set of skills. So it's not, it's not an industry that's set in its ways by, by any stretch of the imagination, is it? You've got to move with the times materials processing, yeah. No, not not at all, Joe. I mean, I think if I was if I was going to take this opportunity to be slightly critical of government, uh, yeah, I think government had an awful lot on its plate over the last mm. three to five years. Yeah, um, and I and I, you know, we we've had a you know, a lot of help and support, particularly from the business department over time. Yeah. Um, one area where I would encourage them to look at though. And you know they've recently produced a uh, a report on advanced manufacturing, which to, to which we're going yeah. to produce a response. Um, there is a tendency to think of wings, wheels, and silicon chips, and if it isn't got one of those, then there's less of an interest. Yeah, and 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 I, and, and I certainly want to encourage government. To think more broadly about what is advanced manufacturing yeah. uh, because yeah as i hope people will realize you can't go a day in your life without being dependent upon a paper product somewhere and yet those products are made in the uk at extraordinarily high levels of productivity yeah. the very latest technologically advanced equipment ai enabled internet of things um, yeah and whether it's tissue whether it's packaging whether it's um you know, hand towels for, uh, you know, washrooms or whatever. Um, yeah, those products, while they might seem quite prosaic in people's hands, they're actually performing the most incredible function for us. Yeah. And they're produced in the most interesting way. And they are sustainable into the long term because they're renewable and they're recyclable going forwards. And, you know, I just think that there's a huge, huge opportunity there for government to expand the advanced manufacturing concept yeah. to recognize that it's not just, you know, in inverted commas, sexy things, but actually it's, you know, there's a whole wide range of opportunities there that people can have to have interesting, fulfilling, worthwhile, you know, massively contributing to British society careers. And, you know, we, we would just like to, you know, open that door a bit wider and make sure we can get in. I'm fully supportive of that, 100%. Um, well, 
Andrew, it's been a real pleasure to uh, to talk to you this afternoon. It's been a while in, in the uh, in, in the making. Uh, I, I do as many of these podcasts as my work schedule allows. It's always interesting to get a different angle on UK manufacturing, a different part of the sector. Um, and uh, I, I found our, our chat this afternoon extremely insightful. So thanks very much again for coming on. Hope the, the listeners and, and viewers have enjoyed the show. Um, anybody needs any information about the, the UK paper industry, get in contact with the Confederation of Paper Industries. Um, so thanks again to Andrew Large. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of Insights for Manufacturing. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.